This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. In this portion of our podcast on private equity, we'll look at how approaches to management of portfolio companies have been changing. Some management structure approaches seem to have performed better than others, and we'll drill down to that with our guest here today, Steve Samet, who's a senior fellow and lecturer here at Wharton, and Michael Rogers, who's EY's global deputy private equity leader. So let me ask uh, both of you, some companies seem to focus more on management improvements than others. Uh, What does the record show performance-wise? For example, I understand that those that have replaced management more often have had a different experience than those who stuck with original management. So can we talk about that a little bit? Um, Mike, Mike, why don't you start with that? Okay. Uh, Yeah, thank you, Steve. And I think that, uh, you know, what what, uh, the PE fund does choose to do with management does have a very serious outcome in terms of uh, results at the end of uh, the whole period. And, And uh, the, you know, having the right management team at the start of a deal is one of the factors most strongly correlated with success. Uh, in fact, it, it results in shorter hold periods, higher EBITDA growth, maybe even higher equity multiples as well. Uh, and the firms, getting to your question, the firms that kept their initial managers uh, and changed during the hold period experienced slightly higher overall returns but at the expense of slightly longer hold periods and lower IRRs. You could assume that because they, they held that longer. Uh, the firms that uh, you know, bought, it brought in new management at the outset and then unfortunately had to replace them down the road saw the worst outcomes, and that's somewhat obvious. You know, they had uh, lower equity multiples and longer hold periods because it essentially takes 12 months of time or so to identify and place a new management team and get them up to speed. So in many ways, in, in terms of the ways the PE firms are trying to get the right teams in place, they're doing a number of things. They're using management teams that, they have, that have, uh, they've used before that, that they've worked in PE. Uh, they're sometimes taking the same management teams uh, and using them over multiple deals. Uh, another you know, little uh, aspect that they're doing is they're starting to invest in, in second-level management. Uh, you know, especially if there's a chance that the original team may not be around full-time. And I think that that was something interesting from the study that they found. Uh, and they're also using consultants to assess new management teams at the outset and figure out what pieces need to be added or changed. Uh, and maybe, lastly and most importantly, I think they're changing management immediately when it's clear they're not up to, up to the task. And, and I think that that's, that's the critical component because you just – Given the time frame of the holds of these deals, you just can't afford to have uh, you know, to to go a couple years in a deal, take a year to get a new management team, and then install them and let them run. By that point, you've already uh, exhausted the, the primary part of your change management period, if you will, during your value creation phase. So, I think those are some of the key issues we found from the study. No, they're and they're very important observations, uh, of course. Uh, one of the one one of the things I would speculate on is uh, what is the necessity of changing the management team if you've if you're a PE fund that has acquired uh, the company from another PE fund. 
and you know perhaps in those cases uh, uh, the management team is where you need it to be and there's perhaps perhaps less hands-on but if you're acquiring something from the open market uh, as it were uh, in those instances this emphasis on uh, pre-deal management assessment and uh, um, uh, post-transaction uh, performance acceleration uh, through through either bringing in people from the private equity fund itself's uh, team in order to uh, help improve management or replacing management or uh, using other sources of support. Uh, these are all very healthy trends. And as somebody who teaches this material to students who are always asking, what courses do I need to take in order to become a private equity professional? For years, I've been saying, don't ignore operations. This isn't all financial transaction. Uh, and now, now we have some evidence to uh, support uh, that recommendation. Some of the uh, PE firms give top management more autonomy. Uh, others act more as an operational partner. Um, is there one way that works better than the other, or is it all situational? Mike? Yeah, I think, Steve, it's a, it, it is a great uh, debate, if you will, in the PE community these days. And the research that we did showed that just over a majority, like 52%, followed what we would describe as a management-centric philosophy. It's sort of following up on, on Steve's earlier comment. These are folks that say, look, we install management, and we will, you know, we'll monitor, we will be uh, partners, we will look over your shoulder at the numbers, of course, and we will, you know, give you advice and, and maybe, maybe use our network to fill gaps in your management team, but you're really there to run the business. And then we have others that the other 48%, if you will, is made up of several different buckets of varying degrees of people that follow more of a model that, that Steve also alluded to, more of the operating partner model. And in many of these organizations, these folks are now even bifurcating their businesses. They have maybe two sides of a business, might be the deal side and then the operating, you know, or, you know, management side. Uh, and actually, in some cases, some of the funds call them different names, call them different firms. Uh, and, and the idea here is that, you know, once the uh, organization actually pre-deal, they look at the, uh, now analyze the company, when they you know, actually acquire it, then they go in and they, they drop ship uh, executives into these roles, and many times they work for the fund. Sometimes they're outside consultants, but the idea is to get you know the best expertise they can on the ground. Which oftentimes many of these companies are middle market entities. They may not be able to afford the very best supply chain uh, person in the world, but uh, maybe they could afford them quarter time, and maybe they could be dropped in from the fund to add expertise on a transition or something that's going on in the entity. So. There are. It's an ongoing debate. I think there's a little bit of a leaning towards using more operating partners and bringing in consultant types, but uh, there's clearly still a majority that really uh, lean on management and expect them to drive the operational process. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves. Uh, um, I, I think one of the key lessons, and this was pointed out in the EY report, is that one size, I think the term you use, one size doesn't fit all, Michael. Uh, uh, and, and that is, uh, uh, you know, firms are going to have to make a case-by-case a, uh, -case determination as to just how much intervention is needed. Uh, of course, once you build 
your in-house infrastructure to support operations, your bias is going to be towards finding opportunities that will utilize that capability. So we may end up seeing uh, two or three years from now that this is neatly divided or there's been a schism between these two philosophies and some firms um, uh, are, are exclusively operationally focused and others are uh, perhaps more traditional in their approach to financial engineering. Uh, another uh, thing that would be interesting to uh, look into is uh, what's happening around top management incentives, because I think there's been some evolution there, Michael. I think that your study talked about that a little bit. Can you enlighten us on that? Yeah, big. I think big changes in, in this aspect, uh, Steve. Yeah, obviously, one of the key tenets of PE is alignment of interests. You know, that's really what drives their model. Uh, getting the GPs, the LPs, and management teams all on one page. Uh, the idea is, if, if if one makes money, everyone is supposed to make money as well. Uh, what we're seeing now is a shift in the ways that PE firms are paying people. And for a period, there was a trend towards incentivizing, you know, deep into the organization. Uh, and while the aggregate amount of equity remains essentially the same. We're starting to see more firms start to really focus on the top five to six people. And what we heard anecdotally when we did the, uh, the interviews with a lot of the PE funds is that the idea is that you don't want to pay people in a currency that they may not value. Uh, we think this is a trend we will probably see become more pronounced as time goes on. And the, really, if you think through it, if you've got a, a young professional in your organization that you know, is more concerned with, with you know, real-life current-time cash challenges, maybe raising a family or building a house or whatever, you know, they may not put as much value on that equity as somebody a little bit different in stage in their career. So we're seeing a lot of the management teams are looking through this and saying, where can we place our bets with five or six folks that can directionally change this business as opposed to sort of, you know, a little bit more of the bread and, uh, you know, spreading the, the peanut butter on the bread kind of approach. Uh, and it seems to really be taking hold in a number of funds. They're, they're starting to think, let's really super incentivize the folks that we know that can, you know, turn the dials and, and make this business run better. And that's, you know, appropriately reward, but maybe it's through other mechanisms, through cash or bonus or, or uh, restricted stock or something different for the folks that may not value the currency as much. Uh, This is a very important point because... uh um, m- many of us have been, you know, find the allure of the Silicon Valley model of uh, giving stock options all the way down to the pizza delivery guy um, as the uh, as 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 the way of incentivizing an organization. And while that might be true in the uh, b- binary outcomes, uh, either extraordinarily uh, successful or complete losses in venture capital, in in private equity. Uh, generally speaking, the the currency, as Michael puts it, uh, is seen very differently. Uh, for top management, yes, it, it may be it may be uh, incentivization worth millions or or many many millions. Uh, but for the rank and file of the corporation, it's hardly life changing at all. And uh, uh, People in operating companies come from a, a different culture. It's current compensation is uh, uh, more the driver. So I, I think companies have to assess this very carefully. 
Uh, and in those instances where the, the, only the senior managers and the people who can make a difference are incentivized with ownership, uh, that does put a burden on still creating a, a, a very participative culture among all employees. Because when you are making major changes in operating strategy and expectations, you still have to find ways of, of keeping people engaged. And sometimes that means just a better bonus structure as opposed to ownership incentivization. Yeah, I would add to Steve's comment, I, I agree with that. And I think that what we're hearing from the funds is they're experimenting with a lot of different models, including, you know, uh, compensation plans that are somewhat time-based or you know, clearly performance-based, maybe, you know, liquidity options that they're giving folks. And as I mentioned, you know, even going so far as creating tracking stocks or other mechanisms to reward people that, you know, may not cause as much uh, out-of-pocket equity dilution from the fund itself. So a lot of creativity in this space, and it seems to be a, a, a big big trend. All right. Well, uh, to wrap things up a little bit here, could we just talk in general about the state of play in private equity? Uh, I think that there's a, a line in the study that mentions that, you know, bottom line, private equity is still delivering better results than, than public markets. Michael, could you just talk about that a bit? Yes, I think in terms of, there's a couple of key trends that we can chat about circle back to maybe exit and some other things, but to hit on your point of you know, what, what we have found, and we try our best to make sure that we're taking out any biases in the study to make sure we're com- really comparing apples you know, and apples, but what we, what we have found is that really over the, the now eight-year period that we've been doing these studies, we have been able to figure out that PE-backed companies have grown EBITDA uh, at an annualized rate, rate of about 14%. And you know, versus public comps that we were looking at grown at a rate of about 4%, 4.3%. And in particular, the last three years or so, EBITDA growth at our study uh, candidates has been about 13% versus about 6% you know, for, for public companies. And so we do see that there is value being added by private equity. I think that that's um, you know, the premise of the study, trying to understand that, you know, not only uh, is it there, and we, we concur that it is there, and then secondarily, as we've chatted about in this session, what are some of the things in terms of value drivers that they're really focused on to create the additional value? But we've definitely seen uh, that the model has, has sort of, um, you know, survived through this downturn uh, and, and in some ways may thrive. It may be a look a little different. Uh, and, and we'll probably have to act a little bit different in the in the next coming years. I mean, uh, I think uh, we've chatted about before here that some of the multiples that are being paid for for some businesses these days are are really really rich in many cases, and there's strategic players that are stepping in and and paying some very you know stout multiples, and that may limit uh, private equity's field of play in that space. But what we do see them doing is looking around, being a little bit more creative. Maybe um, you know, look bundles of assets, or maybe looking at opportunities where they can go in and add the value that we've talked about in the value creation phase. Uh, but what we are encouraged about is the exit market seems to be uh, holding up very, uh, very robust uh, equity markets right now, and the IPO markets there. Uh, the funds are trading amongst themselves in many cases. Uh, but what uh, I think will really heat up the market is when the corporates get back in in a big way, and, and we think that that's a trend that's uh, you know just breaking out as well. 
So that's that's sort of our, our sense for uh, the second half of the year here. Uh and uh, this actually can almost bring us full circle back to the IPO issue, because one of the ways of monitoring the success at improving earnings in these companies is going to watch the aftermarket or secondary market uh, uh, for the companies that are publicly traded. Uh, if they falter in terms of, of operational performance, the market will most likely punish these these uh, uh, issues. Uh, on the other hand, if they maintain uh, this level of growth as compared to uh, uh, other publicly traded companies, they will enjoy continued value uh, Im- improvements in market capitalization. Uh, so there is a uh, there is a, a hallway monitor in all of this, and and that is in fact the public markets. Listeners can access past podcasts plus additional insights into private equity at our private equity website, and the address is kw.wharton.upenn.edu slash private hyphen equity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.